0: Good evening. Today is Wednesday, February 23rd, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is Into Action, and we are on step eight, and our speaker tonight is Marla S. Thank you, Marla.
1: Uh, Thank you. Can you hear me okay? All right, good. I'm just trying to get my timer so I can see my own timer, too. It helps me pace myself. Okay. Hi guys. I am really glad to be here. I'm Marla, a recovered compulsive overeater. And it's really good to be here. Um, I'm going to just start for a minute and take a deep breath. And I'm just going to say a quick prayer. God, I ask that you please help me be a vessel through which you can reach someone here in this room. Let me share my experience, strength, and hope in a way that Will not be me or my ego, but something for you to reach whoever you want to hear. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share. It's quite an honor um, to be able to share a program that has been such an incredible miracle in my life. Um, I just want to start with a few minutes of a little backstory. They asked me to tell you what it used to be like for me and what I'm like now. You'll see and hear, hopefully. Um, so I came into, uh, I started OA in I don't know, in high school, I went in there. I was just, I'd been an eater my whole life. I just loved food in the beginning uh, as a young child. And food was fun for me in the beginning. Um, But over time uh, through high school, I started some disordered eating. I've never been bulimic or anorexic. I've always just been the overeater kind of person. Um, Even in high school, I started the sneaking and the lying to my parents and uh, hiding my food and things like that. So then, um, then in my in my 20s, uh, I just started, my food just continued to escalate along the way. Food became less of a um, fun thing for me and more of a necessity as I got older. And um, I was trying things like counseling and therapy for years and tried lots and lots of diets. And that over time, uh, this thing had taken on huge proportions for me where I got, you um, completely addicted to eating and obsessed with food. And I'm only five foot, uh, one and a half. And every diet I went on, I would just continually lose the weight, always gain it back plus more. And I tried way I think, like when I was in my high school years, I tried that, couldn't get the powerless thing. I came back in my early twenties, my in college, um, like three previous times to actually getting it because I could never, actually accept that I was powerless over food. Um, I couldn't understand that at all. Um, I just thought, you know, it's just food. I'm the one that can throw away. And I had had multiple bouts of control, you know, and they're just putting it down for a while and dieting successfully, but I could just never keep it down. Um, As things got worse, uh, I had eventually ballooned in weight to the point where I was doing huge binging. It became an actual binge eating disorder. And no matter how badly I wanted to stop, I absolutely could not stop um, the threat of Uh, health issues, actual health issues. Um, I was doing things with food that I didn't wanna be doing, desperately wanting to stop and could not. And every time I would put the food down for a while and I knew that I couldn't eat those things, eventually something inside of me would cause me to pick it up again. And I just could never stay on a diet even when I could put it down. So eventually my top weight, I'm gonna share my screen here. Hopefully the techno stuff will work. My top weight at five, uh, let's see, I was five feet. Can you see that? Okay, just somebody give me a little nod if you see it. You see my screen? Okay, so this is what I kind of look like now over COVID. I've stopped exercising as much. So I might be a little more hippie, but I am currently about uh, 100 and 35 pounds, I would say right now. Um, But I'm maintaining 120 pound loss, thank you, God. And that came, uh, I came into OA the last time, uh, God willing, the last time in November of 2012. So this was me, I don't remember how old I was there. Um, And I had gotten up at my highest weight to four a five foot, one and a half lady. It's a little bit of a big number there. I My high weight was 284 pounds and I was considered morbidly obese. I could not reach my own feet. I could not do proper hygiene. I couldn't do tons of life the way I wanted to do life. And I hated my body. I hated my life. I thought I was living like a walking zombie. Um, and I don't know, there was one more. Did I show you the stunning beach photo? The beach photo, um, just, you know, I had kind of assumed that that was all it was ever going to be for me. That was the best it was going to get. I just, one time uh, I just finally gave up the notion of dieting at all and hang on, I got to stop sharing and get you back. Okay. Oh, we're normal screen now. Um, so I couldn't I couldn't live the life I wanted to live and everything was about getting to my food. That's what I lived for pretty much was living for the food and numbing out and, and, eat. you know, so I tried therapy. I tried three eating disorder treatment programs. One of them was an inpatient for six weeks. Nothing helped. I could not stop wanting food. Finally, the year before I came into OA for the last time, God willing, um, I had, joined a weight loss program that was the first, I stopped dieting first for about 15 years, which was probably the smartest thing I ever did because I couldn't stand gaining the weight back. Every time I would diet, I would gain it back and get fatter. And I finally said, this is crazy. And I just stopped dieting completely. Uh, And that was a smart decision because I maintained a nice felt weight of 265 pounds for about 10 or 15 years, you know, great. if I just looked at myself from here up, I was fine but it just, uh, I settled. I mean, I just, I just accepted that I, I couldn't do it. One day I finally decided to try again and it was a commercially su- uh, medically supervised program where we did those shakes and it was amazing. For about seven months, I was able to not eat the foods that, that and I followed their plan and, and I lost almost a hundred pounds and uh, uh, well, excuse me, over a hundred pounds, and I, I finally, for the first time in years, had a normal-sized body and had every, every feeling of having finally gotten this thing, and I was so excited. And then, as we learn in OA, um, I had somewhere down the line the mental twist took over, and my brain got hijacked, and I forgot how dangerous those foods were and something convinced me to pick it up again. And once that started, the binging came back very quickly and I was rapidly gaining the weight back about 30 pounds in one month, I think. And I was terrified to finally have gotten to be a normal body size and live life again. And it was quickly being taken away. And so I um, desperately finally came into OA one more time, beaten and bloodied and ready this time to admit that absolute powerlessness, Because nothing I could do, whether I was eating or not eating, nothing I did ever stopped me from wanting food, from thinking about food. And I could finally admit powerlessness over that piece. I can't, whatever I do, make myself stop wanting, needing food Under any circumstance, and what OA has done for me today, I'm maintaining 120 pound loss for nine years, and I have not eaten my binge foods for over nine years. And the key about it is the neutrality. I am absolutely free from the obsession. I don't want to eat that way. It's easy to do something when you don't want to do the other thing, and that's nothing I could have done for myself. That's the miracle of working these twelve steps. So today, I'm tasked with sharing about step eight. Um, When I did get in and finally got back, I started right away. Day one, I got a sponsor the first night. I got abstinence immediately and hung on to it. And in the beginning, it was not easy. I'm not going to lie and say it it was. I had to go to any length to hang on to that abstinence the first few weeks. But I immediately dove into working the steps. And I did not find the big book until about 10 months into my recovery. I had been uh, abstinent to another uh, facet of OA, a very strict structured facet, didn't really do a lot of big book work, but 10 months into it, when I was already neutral and, and recovered, I think, um, I, and I had found the neutrality and the gift of the promises, I discovered the big book. I was listening to a uh, big book study online by one of the speakers that goes around a lot and it just took like fire for me. So I had already found the recovery piece But man, Big Book has deepened my entire life and strengthened my recovery so much. So step eight, well, made, it says in step eight, it talks about made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. All right, well, what on earth does it have to do with eating? You know, what what does that mean to me? You know, I can't talk about the importance of making my amends and becoming willing to make amends until I learn what got me to the point where that even becomes an issue. Okay. So thank you. In step one and two and three, those were the steps that I, that brought me on my knees to this program, willing to do whatever they told me to do. The surrender had to be there. And I surrendered. I, I, surrendered this notion that I could control the food on my own because life the way I had been living it on self-reliance got me up to 284 pounds of very miserable okay so I, I was already one and two were pretty darn easy for me I knew I had no power <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't I, I came in program thinking will somebody please get control over me And I um, followed the directions, okay. When it came to the fourth step then, which was really the first action step, I had to write down, you know, made the fearless moral inventory, the fearless moral inventory. That means I had been convinced that life on self-will, doing it Marla's way is exactly what created all the fear, all the resentments, all the guilt, all the shame. Everything, life the way I had been living it on my own, trying to manage life my own, without a higher power leading me, I created a huge mess for myself. And step four was that appraisal, that really deep, honest look at what did I do to make a mess of my own life, trying to manage it on my own. The step four for me was critical in helping me see that I wasn't the victim that I had lied myself into believing I was for so long. Living on self-will, coming and beating, bumping into other people. You know, my instincts, I'm wanting what I want. You know, self-will run riot, it talks about. Selfishness, self-centeredness, driven by a hundred forms of fear, we step on the toe. You know, for me, life was always about needing to seek comfort. And it, it was through the food. I'm seeking comfort through the food, of course, because What, but what, what my living problem was, I was living, you know, always thinking that I had to make you guys and the rest of the world conform to my will because I needed you to change so I could be okay. I needed my husband to change so I could be okay. I needed my children to perform a certain way so that I would have self worth. Everyone in my life, and I didn't know this until I started this work. Everyone important to me in my life had an assignment that I had given them to play. <laughs> you know, my husband's job when I first got married, he didn't know it. I didn't know. It, but his assignment was to make me feel like a normal woman and to make me feel good about myself. You know, I didn't have any self-esteem. And so when I married him, that was the expectation that marrying you is going to finally make me feel normal when I never felt normal in my whole. I didn't know that. But through my life, then in that marriage, I started putting all these unconscious expectations on these other people. When I adopted my kids, their job is to make me feel like I'm a very capable mother. Now that's going to give me self-esteem. My self-esteem was on a platter. I had none of my own. And I looked to every person that I loved to give it to me. Your job was to make me feel worthwhile. Everybody else's job and the world's job was to make me feel comfortable. My whole, everything I did was about seeking to have control over my destiny, control over where you guys sat in the room because I need the best chair. It was all about me. And my fourth step made that very clear. So what does this have to do with the eighth step then? Well, when it talks about becoming aware in the fourth step of how I conducted my life, I didn't know that it was I who had created all my pain for the most part. It was my unrealistic expectations of my loved ones. It was my thinking that it was your job to be a certain way so that I could be comfortable. So that I, and and I acted in ways that were inappropriate. You know, I spent years, I'm married now 33 years and now we're finally in a happy marriage. But I would say until I came into recovery eight years ago, i had no concept of how i was contributing to the downfall of the marriage and also to my own incredibly dissatisfied life okay but i always blamed him so when i got here and i was told to do the inventory and then i shared it with my sponsor and then as i got further into the work and did more inventories like i did 2 years into into program i did a much better inventory as time went by and then in 6 Is By sharing it with another person, I learned what my character defects were. I learned that I was selfish. I always wanted it always to be about me. What can you do to make my life easier? What can you do to make my life more comfortable? What can you do to make me feel happy, to make sure I look good, to give me self-esteem, to give me worth? Okay, It was always out there. And so to talk about step eight, how do... I make amends or get willing to make amends to the people that I have harmed, first of all, I cannot do a good step eight if I have not done a thorough four through seven, okay? So that meant taking an extremely good, honest look. And then in step five, sharing and getting an appraisal from a recovered human being could could help me see, Marla, you're not a victim. You're not a victim. You have done a lot of this to yourself. Looking in the mirror, I see a sign that says, you're looking at the problem, sister. That is it. So if I'm going to be able to get willing, like step eight, the list. Well, when I wrote my inventory and started to learn, where have I been self-seeking? Where have I been dishonest? Where have I been selfish? Where have I been fearful? And what have those things done inside of me to cause me to behave toward all the people I come in contact with to behave in ways that can be harmful, whether it's gossiping about somebody at work because I'm threatened by her, whether it's um, meddling in my husband's relationships with the children, because I think that I'm the better parent and what he's doing is wrong and I'll correct him in front of the children and I will humiliate him and I will constantly criticize him because he didn't put the, um, the dishes in the dishwasher the right way, I had this idea of what life should be like. And when it wasn't that way, I got pissy, real pissy. And then I hurt people. Mostly my amends were not people out in the world. I did not rob banks. I did not have affairs. I didn't do any of these really big, is it five minutes, Tanya, Were you just I'm saying, sorry. It's about three. I'm sorry. Three. Got oh, of time. I'm listening. No problem. <laughs> okay. Most... Most of the amends that I owed to people were, uh, after having been in OA three times, I made a lot of the other smaller amends, you know, the paying back things I owed and those kinds of, but the big amends, the key people in my life, my husband, my children, my brother and his wife, and my parents who were dead, those were my, oh, wait, I got to plugged in my computer, hang on, it's going to die. <laughs> there we go. Please start to charge. Good. Those are the key people that I own my message. So how do we get prepared? Well, the list part for me, there's nothing to talk about. You know, you make a list. That's okay. There we go. We talked about step eight. But I looked at this as what's the harder part? The willingness. It says we made a list of all people we had harmed and we became willing to make amends. So through four, five, six, and seven, where I admit my character. I see him for the first time. This whole program is about becoming awake as a spiritual awakening. I finally got to see the real me. Wow. I'm a bitch. I mean, I hate to cuss, but I was a bitch to my husband. I created so much pain for that poor guy. I had to look at me and the amends I had to become. How do you become willing to make amends? It wasn't for me until I saw me for me. Okay, so I'm not even going to get into what the amends were, because that's actually step nine. So the part I'm getting willing for me, and that's what I'm hoping to convey tonight, the willingness for me came from taking that deep, honest look about what I have done to contribute to my pain and certainly to the pain of the people I love around me. And it is through things like praying the sick man's prayer, the resentment prayer in the fourth step. I had to do that very thorough work where I never would have been willing to make amends to my husband. I had to um, understand when it talks about heavy resentments in step four, that those other people have been spiritually sick. And if I am not ready, if I've not really thoroughly looked at step four, five, six, and seven, there's no way I'll be willing to make amends. And if I do prematurely, they will be bad amends where they might not be. So if I have not thoroughly connected with the idea that these other people are hurting too, and that they may be spiritually sick like me, I cannot go to them and do a decent amends. And if I'm still angry and resentful at you, there's no way I'll be willing to make an amends. So I don't consider it valuable to try to make amends until I make darn sure that my four, five, six, and seven are thorough and ready to go. And I see my part because mm-hmm. once I do, it becomes crystal clear. And then I'm dying to get better. I'm dying to be the wife I never was or the mom that I never was or the sister or sister-in-law that I never was. And That's are fine. we done? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not going to go into any details on the actual amends. And that was just like, how could I speak about being willing to make them hopefully That made sense and was useful for somebody, and I pass. Thank you.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Marla, for sharing on Step 8 tonight. We appreciate it. We will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. With the timekeeper, please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up. And if the speaker has asked, is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. Thanks, Tanya. Okay, we're open. All right, great. Thanks so much, Sherry.
2: And thank you so much for the share. That was really great, Marla. All right, so we're going to start here with uh, Joanne D. Let me ask you to unmute. There you go. Hi, everybody. I'm Joanne D. from New York, a recovered compulsive overeater, and so grateful to be here. My first time here. Oh, gosh, first time at this meeting. Um, but um, I'm celebrating 395 days of abstinence today, 397 days back in program uh, after 30 years leaving. And Marla, your story was so much, I can relate to it so much because I also was 287 pounds at five foot two, and now I weigh 137 pounds and I'm shrinking five foot one and a half, (laughs) anyway. And, you know, step eight, God, what a life-changing step for me. I mean, I failed in relationships big time. And when I had to make that list, wow. Like, there were so many people on that list that I had to make an amends to. My estranged daughter who kicked me out of her life and you know, 30 years, when she turned 30, came into my t- kitchen table to tell me all the things I did wrong in raising her and pushed me away. And the stress of it, I broke out and welts all over my body from the stress. Um, today, we have an amazing relationship. I r- typed her up the most beautiful amends letter and finally took responsibility from my side and always just Defended myself. Well, I was a single mom. Your father left me for a 90-year-old, 90-pound woman. You know, I did the best I could. He didn't pay me child support. I mean, I just kept making excuse after excuse and never just saying, I'm really sorry, Nikki. I never knew you felt this way. And today she called me, FaceTimed me this morning, Ma, I can't believe I'm so happy you're in my life and you're in this 12-step program and we have a beautiful life and I'm looking forward to the new life. I'm going to retire in four months after 30 years of teaching and I just became a grandmother five months ago. So, and I'm at a right-sized body, like my whole life is amazing because of this program. And, and my relationships with my brothers who I never had compassion and my the code of conduct is every time the phone rings and they call me, love, compassion, tolerance, and patience. Joanne, don't yell at them, don't fight with them. And I get along with my two brothers who I fought with constantly. My ex-husband, after 30 years, I called him up this summer, can I talk to you? I made the most amazing amends to him, like I kept blaming him. You left me for a 90-pound woman. I was so obese. I was such a turnoff to him. He's like, no, Joanne, I never felt like I was good enough in your eyes. Like, and I said, I'm so sorry. I was always like a perfectionist. I'm sorry. I made you feel that way. Like, it was just like, you were never good enough. You know, everything you did was half ass. My father did everything perfect. Why do you do everything half? And I was always blaming him for everything. And today I just like, he did the best he could that, you know, I can't change anybody. And I love the the acceptance prayer and I love the resentment prayer. And I love that every time I have a resentment, I could write a letter to God and I could say those prayers and I could say, These are sick people, but I'm sick too. And I could just love them and pray only good things for them, even though I really don't feel like it sometimes. I have some colleagues that I count in the days I don't have to see anymore. But I still, they piss me off and get me so mad and happened the other day and I had a 20 minute lunch and I made some phone calls and it was Hi. like, I'm writing a letter to God and, 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 and I did the resentment prayer and now I'm free. I just want to be free and I want to have serenity and peace. So thank you guys for being here. I haven't shared in a long time in a meeting. I felt really good. Okay, thank you so much. And now we're gonna turn to Anne. Let me
0: get you unmuted.
3: Hi, my name's Anne, I'm a cultural reader. Um, thank you, Marla. Um, I related to, I think you're my twin. <laughs> um, you know, I... Um, when I look back, it's just not a pretty sight. Um, You know, I I heard a speaker um, a few days ago talk about a, it is a thinking disease. And for me, it's been an extremely powerful thinking disease. Once I realized that it wasn't about food, that was about what was going on inside of me. And, um, you know, I like to call my thinking a bad neighborhood. And I try not to stay there for very long. So I, I do have a tendency to um, be on the phone talking to people a lot, um, making outreach calls and doing 10th steps and receiving 10th steps and um, all that kind of stuff. And it really helps me to talk to other people um, because I hear the message that they say to me rather than what I'm saying to them. Um, so much of what I hear is the message of recovery and hope, and being in in the in the program of OA. Um, you know, I came a long time ago, and, and the meeting I went to, they didn't use a big book, and so I white knuckled it for a couple of years, and then I left and went back out there. And uh, so when I came this time, it was amazing to have the big book and um, to be connected in into into such a powerful uh, piece of material that has helped so many people recover from so many different kinds of diseases. Um, And for me, um, you know, it's the power in that book is absolutely amazing to me. um, And that we can um, um, sponsor other people. And in that process, share the the hope of recovery that is was born in that material. Um, and, um, you know, the the um what's been really good for me the past um probably the past maybe about three weeks is um I've I've gotten a, a deeper understanding of you know, feeling right-sized and feeling good about me and the person that I am today and, um, better than I've ever been my entire life. And for me, that's really amazing to feel, um, that I can, I can take care of myself, um, in, in a better way than I ever have. It's, it's some self-care things that I need to do for me to feel good about me. And, um, the more that I keep doing those things, the better I feel. Um, You know, I'm going back through the steps for the second time now. And I'm, uh, I just finished my fourth step and sent some material to my sponsor. So um, and I have to admit going through them again. I, um, I've heard different things this time. So I'm, I'm excited about the things that I've heard, because that's what's given me this, this deeper understanding that I don't fully um, understand. But you know what, the thing that I do understand is I don't have to understand it. I just have to accept that it's there. And that it's helping me um, get closer to um, the God of my understanding. And um, thank you, um, whoever reminded me I'm done. Um, and really, that's all I have to say. I, I just love this program. Thank you, Marla. And thank the people that are doing service. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much. I think
2: do we have time for one more share before we stop the recording. Let's go ahead and go with um, Annabelle. Annabelle, let me ask you to unmute.
0: Actually, I think we should stop it now because we just have less than a minute.
2: Okay, all right, I'll go ahead and stop the recording.